really giving yourself that time to get adequate rest and then ultimately making the decision intentionally to be like, well, what is the kind of rest state that I want to be in and allowing yourself to become more than just enough because that is the transition from surviving to thriving and to blooming and to existing in this holistic space. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Seek the Joy podcast. Happy Seek the Joy Tuesday. I'm your host, Sydney Weiss, and on the podcast this week, we are talking all about rest, allowing ourselves to rest, choosing rest, and really its connection to self-trust and boundaries. And I'm so happy that I had this conversation with Megan Watson. She's a registered psychotherapist and the founder and owner of Bloom Psychology and Wellness, a therapy practice based in Toronto. And in her everyday clinical work, Megan focuses on education and support for individuals struggling with understanding their emotions, managing stress, and establishing healthy relationships through a radical self-compassion and body liberation lens. Outside of the therapy room, Megan is also a writer, consultant, and content creator. And through all these different avenues, she really works closely with organizations and companies in developing holistic, thoughtful mental health projects with an intersectional perspective on mental health. So in today's new episode, Megan and I dive into why we often struggle with allowing ourselves to rest and practice self-care that serves us how we can begin to develop greater self-trust and why it's sometimes difficult to maintain. And we talk about the connection between boundaries and rest and why boundaries are so important. And Megan shares her top tips for setting good boundaries with yourself, your rest, and your self-care. Plus, Megan shares how we can continue to nurture ourselves while maintaining our connections, how greater rest leads to greater joy, her biggest dream, and so much more. You're going to totally hear it in today's new episode, but throughout the entire conversation, I just kept having an aha moment, a light bulb moment, like one after another. And I just know this is going to be one of those episodes where you're taking notes and you're writing things down and you're coming back and you're listening to it more than once. So I'm so excited to hear what you think. And I just know this is going to resonate, you know, especially as so many of us, I think often struggle in choosing rest, which is really about choosing ourselves. So make sure to join the conversation on our social media channels, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We are at Seek the Joy Podcast everywhere. Whether you're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever, make sure you hit follow or subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and review. Ratings and reviews really help the podcast get seen by new people and send me a screenshot of that rating and review and I'll send you a little something something to say thank you and I just always love connecting with you outside of the show. As you probably know by now, I'm gearing up to host our first ever Seek the Joy Summer Series. It's our virtual retreat that goes live on the summer solstice on Sunday, June 20th. We are coming together in community to welcome in the warmth, the freshness, and the joy of this summer season. And you've got like less than two weeks to register. It's totally free. So hit the link in our show notes or go to seekthejoypodcast.com slash seekthejoysummer to sign up. We've got a beautiful solstice, meditation, yoga flow and community chat, sound healing and workshops on sanctuary, tapping into the summer energy, the power of play and stepping into our self-care. And these sessions have been so nourishing to record and I just can't wait to share them with you. So hit that link in our show notes or go to seekthejoypodcast.com slash seekthejoysummer to register today for free. You'll have access to these beautiful and nourishing sessions for two whole weeks. And I just can't wait to come together in community in this way and really just welcome in this new season, feeling energized, refreshed, and inspired. Megan shares just such a beautiful perspective and she comes from this space of compassion, honesty, and empathy. And I just know her perspective on rest and her own personal experience and its connection to self-trust and boundaries. I just know you're going to love it. And I just can't wait to hear what you think. So without further ado, let's dive into today's new episode, all about choosing rest with Megan Watson. 
So I'm excited to have this conversation with you today because I know recently you posted on your Instagram about your journey with rest and your mm. journey with burnout and taking <laughs> taking a step back. And when I read your post, I was twofold. I was really inspired by what you had to say, but I also was like, yes, like somebody is talking about this, talking about, you know, the resistance that we often have towards rest. And for a lot of us, me included, it's not Mm -hmm. natural. Like I don't gravitate towards moments of like resting. (laughs) I gravitate towards moments of creating. And so I would think it just would be really valuable to start off by talking about maybe what inspired those posts that you put up on Mm. Instagram. And, and if you're willing to share, you know, a little bit about your journey with this component of rest and self-care and allowing yourself, you know, to step into that space. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy to, I'm glad that you mentioned it because I was like, this is so timely Mm -hmm. um, because I am kind of taking a little bit of a break from Instagram, but I I don't know if um, people know this about me, if you just see me on IG, but I run a full clinical practice. I see sometimes 25 people a week. (laughs) I do. Um, I run my my full-time clinic. I have six associates. I have um, a business to run. And right now my consulting, my workplace consulting and mental health component of my job is just growing and growing and growing. So I, I basically have three or four full-time jobs at this point. Yeah, you do. You really do. (laughs) So Instagram is like one of them. Mm -hmm. And so what I noticed is when I started my Instagram, I really did it just to be creative. Um, I was transitioning into a season of my life where I wanted to to really share some of the ideas that I was thinking about and learning about in a non-traditional way. Um, I saw that there are other therapists out there. I only started this that page in what September 2019 so it's about a year and a half old wow um and so I I just kind of got excited about sharing ideas and it's a creative outlet for me but the moment it started to become a space where it was more work Mm -hmm. than it was just a creative space where I could you know practice graphic design and you know play with colors and talk about cool therapy things is when I started to really develop a different relationship with it and so that's why this rest period came about I realized that so much of my life is connected to um the social media platform and uh, you know my history with with taking rest as you can imagine having all these different responsibilities is not the greatest mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I'm not good at practicing what I preach and so I really wanted to take the opportunity to do so and to do so thoughtfully so stepping back from posting and you know doing the creative work that I do which sometimes takes me hours to develop and to formulate um was a moment for me where I, you know, I definitely had that anxiety of like, oh my God, will people even care about this if Mm -hmm. I come back in Mm -hmm. three months? Um, But I don't care anymore Mm -hmm. because it's for me. And Mm -hmm. so I need to rest in order for me to do the work that I want to do. And so whoever is with me, when I come back, then we'll have fun together. And then Mm -hmm. maybe I'll take more rest, but that's kind of what it's looking like for now. Mm -hmm. I think it's so interesting what you said that this period of rest for you is about, so you can, I I mean, what I'm gathering from what you're saying is like this period of rest is an opportunity for you to figure out how you can fuel that tank up again. So that creating Mm -hmm. is fun. So it's Mm -hmm. not like a chore. It's not like a responsibility. It can be fun again for you. And I have found that too, like in moments where I take a step back and I allow myself to rest and not put a lot of pressure on myself, because I think the need for rest often comes from the sense of pressure, like the pressure we put on ourselves, the pressure we experience from others. And so the moment I kind of like let up on that gas pedal a little bit, I start to feel a little bit more excited or invigorated or like, okay, this is something I want to do, or this is totally not something I want to do. But unless you give yourself that space, you don't even have the opportunity to figure out like how you want to proceed, like how you want to move forward. Absolutely. Honestly, I think bringing more intentionality and not just intentionality is like, well, I intend to do this, but really bringing a thoughtfulness and an integrity 
the mm-hmm. decisions that I want to make around my creativity, around my capacity, how much energy I have, um, and when is is something that is really empowering for me. I talk mm-hmm. a lot about boundaries. I talk a lot about finding space and, and navigating burnout. And the reason I can talk a lot about that is because I I experience it. Mm-hmm. I'm a human being. <laughs> I'm a mm-hmm. therapist, but I'm a human being. And um, I know what it's like to feel like there's just too many things on your plate and they're stacking up and you don't even have time to feel like a real person again. So if I can model as much as possible, some of these tools to step back and and really reflectively look at what I'm doing and why, and thinking about how that's going to fill up my cup again in whatever way that I choose, I'm hoping to continue to do that. I really love what you just said about being intentional and stepping into your own integrity when it comes to rest. And I think we often miss this piece about being intentional. We're, I mean, I don't know about you, but the last year has been like, how do I just survive? How do I often just keep my head above water? So I really wasn't always being intentional about my time. It was like, how can I just, you know, keep myself in a good headspace? And so I'm curious, this piece about being intentional, do you have any thoughts or insights or ideas that can come from your personal reflection or or just in general about why we often struggle with this piece about being intentional about our time or being intentional about our rest. I have some thoughts, but I would love to hear what, what you have to say about it. Yeah, I definitely have thoughts on this. I think <laughs> one of the major pieces that I notice is that um, we don't have as much autonomy over how our schedules work. Mm-hmm. Um And we haven't really set up a society that allows people to make those decisions for themselves. Um, Whether it is because you're put on shifts that you can't control, (laughs) whether Mm -hmm. it's, um, you know, you have people that are pulling you in different directions because they really need you. You provide a service or you provide um, a resource that is necessitated for, you know, other things to happen and for other things to exist. I think a lot of people's work and life, you know, parenting, relationships, they are dependent on other people. And so our rest becomes dependent on whether or not we have the space and time within those relationships, within those situations, those workplaces, those environments. And oftentimes when we develop this relationship of dependence and not necessarily listening to our own mind, our own bodies, and really starting to become hypersensitive and aware of what other people need and what they desire, we lose and. I call it like our internal wisdom. It's like a body clock of like Mm. what it is that you need and when and how. And it's not um, uncommon for me to connect with people, clients or otherwise, who really have no idea what they need. Mm. No one has really asked them that question. They haven't thought about it. They haven't even considered that they might be, um, the word that you used to call it, emotional martyrs (laughs) for other people. That's a good one. Yeah. You know, martyring yourself for other people's needs often feels selfless. It feels altruistic. It feels motivating because we feel good as human beings to contribute to other people. Mm -hmm. It's just the facts. We, We are connecting. We're social animals. We love to contribute and to be helpful. But that helpfulness and that usefulness can become integrated into who you think you are as opposed to what it is that you need. Mm-hmm. to survive and to thrive and clarifying that and and bringing some some wisdom to not what is it that you can do for other people but what you can do instead for yourself and framing that as a requirement for thriving as opposed to an addition to what you're already doing is really powerful for people, but it takes a lot of work to spot Mm -hmm. that dynamic in your life and to ultimately start to build in rituals and routines that allow you to take those moments of reflection and inflection to say, you know, I haven't checked in on my needs globally or 
you know, on a micro level mm-hmm. or on an interpersonal level. And those rituals of connection, we we are very familiar with with family. We have family dinners, we have, mm-hmm. you know, work meetings, we have lots of rituals around connection and checking in, right? Touching base mm-hmm. <laughs> with mm-hmm. people. But we don't really develop those rituals of connection with ourselves. And ultimately mm-hmm. that is the tool to be able to figure out when you're burning out when you need rest, whether you need a glass of water or chapstick or whatever it is that your body is telling you that you yeah. need. Yeah. What you're talking about reminds me, it just feels like being able to tap in and reflect and really look at where you are and what you need. And if you are, you know, giving more of yourself to others and you even are giving to yourself, it just feels like a huge practice in boundaries. And mm-hmm. I love what you said, because the truth is, is we, listen, a lot of us are not even good with boundaries with other people, let alone with ourselves. So if I can't practice good boundaries with friends or coworkers or family or anybody, it's like, do I really even know how to set those boundaries with myself? I have just found like this exercise, this knowing of what even boundaries are has been a journey. And a lot of us even struggle with like, what are boundaries? So Megan, what are boundaries? And like, why do we need them? Because I think they're huge. Simplistically, it is the literal and or metaphorical line between you, people, and your environment. Mm. That's it. You, people, and your environment, the line that you choose to draw in that moment. Mm -hmm. Mm. It is, I think, according to the dictionary definition, it's, you know, a a literal line or metaphorical line, or it fixes a limit Mm. or an extent. So, you know, we think about that in terms of property. Where does your property line draw out? What's the boundary? What's the limit? Mm -hmm. What's the extent of that material land that you live on, whether that's your apartment or whether that's your your home, your your backyard? Um, That's a literal line. But Mm -hmm. boundaries can be metaphorical. They can be intangible. They can be emotional. um, They can be spiritual. They can be... Um, much more focused on the things that we can't see mm-hmm. as much. There are definitely boundaries like uh, property boundaries, material boundaries, even, you know, intellectual property sometimes can be tangible and intangible. But, right. you know, thinking about all of the different limits we have and, and the boundaries we have with our world, it, it makes sense that we're going to need to have a little bit of a policy and, and an understanding mm-hmm. of what that means for us before we interact with our environment. Mm. What I think is so interesting about boundaries too is two things. It goes back to what you were saying. One, we can't be everything for everyone all the time. And I think that includes ourselves. And on the other hand, it can often be really uncomfortable to say no to someone or to disappoint them or feel like we're disappointing someone else. But really in the process of doing so, we are honoring ourselves in a way that I don't think we're naturally accustomed to, especially I think in Western society, we are so used to saying yes. And how can I help you? And I think as women too, we really bend in that direction. So I feel like it's a muscle you know, I don't know what I'm doing with my hand. I'm like lifting a, 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 you know, an invisible barbell, but I think it's a muscle that we have to build over time and saying no, you know, and practicing that and knowing when you're doing so and you're setting that boundary or that line for yourself, you're honoring yourself and what you need in that moment. And you, I don't know, you can't always control obviously the way someone else receives it. But at the end of the day, I think honoring yourself should, should absolutely come first. I agree with that. And I, you know, I wanted to touch on a a point that you mentioned there about Mm -hmm. this desire to not disappoint people Mm, yeah, and that need to, to feel like you're doing something good for someone and they're not going to be sad. They're going to be great. You're improving their life better than when you left it. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of this comes from intergenerational trauma, Mm. um, unbeknownst to us, our family structures create a lot of the blueprints to which we have have an emotional experience of as an adult. So people pleasing and not wanting to disappoint people can be related to a history of feeling like you needed to manage and to understand your parents or your caregiver's emotional needs in order for your needs to get met. So if mom was not happy and warm and helping you with your homework, unless she was feeling good, 
you are learning from a really early age that you need to attend to her needs so that your needs can get met. Mm. And I just use the example with mom, but it can be any caregiver. It can be a sibling. It can be an early relationship. It can be, um, you know, a caregiver in any, in any capacity, but often we, we need to understand why and how these things get transmitted to us through our generations, through our lifespan, so that we can start breaking cycles with our own families and ultimately become aware and use that awareness as the conscious foothold mm. into change. Mm. I just want to take a second and sit with what you just said about the blueprint, that our dynamics within our family that cross generations really set up this blueprint, this map of how you navigate the world and how you present yourself in the world. So whether or not you feel you deserve rest or knowing how you can take rest or setting up good boundaries for yourself so that you even know when you need to take a time out or have a sip of water or put on chapstick, as you said earlier. I mean, this is so interesting and so valuable, I think, for everyone to know and to talk about this idea of this blueprint. And I think even just having the awareness of it is a game changer. You may not mm -hmm. know what to do with it next, but even knowing that it exists, I think it shifts your perspective and maybe even the lens through which you're seeing your experience and, and how you're interacting both with yourself and, and then I think with others too. Yeah, ditto. Yeah. I agree with everything you said. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting. Rest and boundaries for me has also meant learning how I can trust myself and trust my judgment in any given moment. And I feel like that that ability to develop trust with yourself is really clo like closely linked to confidence. It's closely linked to self-esteem, this, this level of awareness and understanding but often I think we really struggle with trusting ourselves. Like I know I do it all the time. Like when I second guess myself or a thought or idea, and then I find myself like checking in with everybody in my life. What do you think about this? Like, what should I do? Why is self-trust something that's so hard to develop or, or even to maintain? Cause I think we ebb and flow with it. Mm, I think there's a larger um, theme in our culture and in our society, and I'm talking about Western culture and yeah. Western society here, um, that we should always be engaging with our world and ourselves with a healthy sense of skepticism mm. and critical nature, critical eye. And I think that skepticism is misconstrued out of the scientific context and can be kind of conflated with like, well, I'm skeptical of whether I can do this, or I'm not sure, or I'm unclear as to my capacity. And, you know, now we're getting into self-efficacy and confidence mm -hmm. and belief. But I think there's generally like a, a larger theme here in which it's valued for us to engage critically with the matter, whether that be, you know, things that we're reading, thing, media, um, engagement, we are often very, very skeptical of what mm. we see and sometimes for good reason. Um, but I think that sometimes gets conflated onto ourselves. I think mm -hmm. self-trust is also incredibly hard because we don't often do the things that we're going to do. Mm. Um, and I link this back to boundaries because if you are not able to check in with yourself to be able to gauge what it is that you can and cannot do, you will constantly overschedule and mismanage your time mm -hmm. and ultimately create a self-fulfilling prophecy in which you cannot trust that you're going to set up the framework for you to be successful. Mm. When I share that with people, especially in the, within the therapeutic relationship, their mind is a little bit blown. Yeah, <laughs> I can like, see it's like that in emoji, you know, the emoji where the head's like coming off, like with steam, right. like, like, whoa, like you're telling me I'm setting up scenarios essentially where I'm showing to myself time and time again, oh, I can't trust myself to manage myself in my time the, the way mm -hmm. I need to. Yeah. Mind blown in that moment. I can imagine. Cause, and I use this because most people are interested in trying to find a way to trust themselves, but they're resistant to becoming mindful in the moment because that awareness and that mindfulness can sometimes feel a little one crunchy granola. Not everybody is super into like tapping into that sense of internal wisdom. Um, but two, I think mindfulness, it's almost too simplistic of an answer. 
mm-hmm. for for a lot of people. They want a complicated way of looking at this. And I and I usually say like, let's start with emotional awareness. Let's start with clarifying your values. Let's start with understanding your boundaries because I can guarantee you that once we start to do that, you will start to feel more in control of your actions and ultimately Ultimately, all this uncertainty and this anticipatory anxiety and this burnout and this lack of self-trust in your ability and confidence to move forward in your life, it's going to shape and, and some of it will disintegrate. Some of it will turn into other things. You know, if it's persistent, then, you know, we do more analysis and we do a little bit more assessment as to what could be happening, whether that's intergenerationally or otherwise, but yeah, I think self-trust is a confluence of issues mm-hmm. and at the, at the core of it, it, it has to do with, are you self-aware enough? Are you mindful enough? Are you conscious enough of how you move through the world? And ultimately, can you create a life for yourself within the limitations of your work or your capacity or your ability to be as successful without judging yourself, mm-hmm. without shame? without undue and unnecessary criticism or blame as to whether or not you're doing your right. Hmm. So really developing trust, developing confidence within yourself comes back down to self-awareness. I love what you said about being mindful in the moment. And the first thing that popped in my mind when you said that was, oh, we need to slow down. We need to take a step back because in order to be mindful of yourself in the moment and either what you're doing, how you're responding, how something makes you feel means you have to slow down enough to actually be able to observe it. Mm-hmm. I have found in moments when I am super stressed, anxious, um, buzzing, like Tasmanian devil style, like between things that I need to do, it's because I'm moving too quickly and I don't have that level of self-awareness. I haven't slowed down enough to be able to check in, to be mindful in the moment. I'm curious too, You know, I think there's sort of this I don't know what the right word is, but I don't know if it's a domino effect or just kind of like a, like it's a never ending circle. Like if you're not taking good care of yourself, then it's really hard to be mindful in the moment. And if you're moving too quickly, it's hard to be mindful in the moment. And so it's hard to maintain this too. I would imagine if you're just not taking good care of yourself in a way that is nourishing for you and fulfilling for you too. Mm-hmm. And I think that difficulty is the the hamster wheel that a lot of people get caught That's up the on. word, hamster wheel. <laughs> I was like, what is that? No, it's hamster wheel. You're right. You get caught on it. It is so hard to get out of it. And I think, you know, it's important to just sit with and validate yourself and say, you know, this is really hard. Mm-hmm. I'm asking myself to engage in a task that I generally judge myself inc- incredibly harshly for. I don't have a lot of time to check in. I I don't feel comfortable in my skin. I don't feel confident or trusting of my ability to do much or most <laughs> at mm-hmm. this point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to be perfectly honest with you, I think people are fearful of validating those feelings because then they're real. Yeah. And once those feelings become real, then most people want to do something about it. And ultimately, if you don't have the answers right away and you are generally a person that is judgmental of yourself, is very harsh and and wants yourself to to know all of the things and do all of the things, it's going to be really, really hard for you to reach a juncture where you're going to need to ask for support or you're going to need to slow down enough to think about an answer that's not going to come to you right away. Mm. And that's super triggering. And so ultimately, what do we do instead? We avoid. (laughs) And avoidance looks like overworking. It looks like cognitive avoidance, like just kind of numbing out, whether that's through substances or whether that's through just Netflix or dissociation related Mm -hmm. to trauma. You know, people have lots of ways of avoiding the difficult things in their life. And which is why therapy is so hard. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because nobody is nobody's more present and aware than your therapist. We're kind of tapped in. Mm -hmm. And once we make that observation, it's really hard to escape. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I've seen some creative ways that clients can kind of be like, well, I don't know if I want to talk about this anymore. This is a lot. Anyway, thanks, bestie. (laughs) Talk to you later. I I think that's such a good point just about when you actually are in that space of awareness, you have to face it. 
or you'll find other ways to escape it. But part of that too is like we recognize the things in us that we want to change or that we feel we want to, you know, work on or have more awareness around. And then on the flip side, I think we also struggle with validating the good things about ourselves, like validating like the way in which we show up for friends or family or our kindness, our empathy, our compassion. Like we also really struggle with that end of it too. And so if we're not validating ourselves at all across the board, it's like, yeah, we're not being mindful in that moment at all. We're like, how can I continue to avoid this? Mm-hmm. And that touches on, you know, one of the things I usually direct people to do when they're trying to figure out how to trust themselves again, mm. honor your talents. What oh. is it that you do well? What are your strengths? I asked that to someone the other day and they were like, I have no idea how to answer that question. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't. I don't know what I'm doing well right now. And I pushed. I said, you know, I know that you don't know how to answer it, but I want you to try. And at the end of that session, they shared with me that no one had ever pushed them to do something that they didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. And that they were glad that I did because it got them to get out of this this way of trying to control the situation, even in therapy, trying to control the way that they heal Mm -hmm. Um, and into a very naturalistic way of showing up authentically and honestly. And those moments are so rewarding because as you hear someone describe all of their strengths and what they do well and their talents, you start to really see that they do trust themselves. Mm -hmm. And that self-trust is not just um, linked to mindfulness, but it's also linked to self-perception mm-hmm. and it's linked to our ability to look at another way of seeing the world, um, in a way that is more kind, a way that is more open, a way that is a little bit more connected to ourselves as whole beings, as mm-hmm. opposed to workhorses or, um, constantly needing to be an optimized version of ourselves. What you just said really brought up an interesting memory for me. So I want to share it with everybody that's listening. A couple of years ago, I think it might have been, gosh, maybe four years ago, I was in this big job search trying to figure out what I was going to do after law school. And this woman who was helping me and she said, just make a list of like 20 things that you're really good at, that you excel at, that you feel good about. And I was like, okay. And I went home and I sat at this, like stared at this blank word document. And I literally remember putting my hands on my head and being like, I have no freaking clue. And I sat with that feeling. And what it brought up in me was this sense of, is it okay for me to acknowledge all the good things about me? Is it okay for me to acknowledge all the things, you know, that I feel like I'm good at? And then it brought up this sense of, like, do I have the permission? Do I give myself that permission? And do I feel safe enough within myself to acknowledge it? It was like a big, like light bulb went off in my head. And I was like, yes, yes. And yes. And so I pushed myself to write this list and then I had to email it to her. And I literally, when I tell you, I was like going back and forth for hours about hitting send because I, it felt like it felt so strange to acknowledge all of the things that I felt good about me. Hmm. And I did it and I sent it to her and she was like, we can add more. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. I was like, okay, sure. And, you know, you continue to work on it. And I I remember I go back to that list or I go back to that memory quite often, especially in moments where I feel like I'm putting myself, you know, in a new situation, I'm I'm extending my comfort zone, but it's just such an interesting phenomenon, like recognizing and remembering that you are safe enough to acknowledge yourself. And granted, I think that's a privilege. I think not everyone has that privilege, especially given your upbringing or your experience. But Mm. I just have felt that that's been so important too, to recognize like, hey, you can acknowledge who you are and and feel good about it. Mm -hmm. Psychological safety is not just about your relationship with your environment. Mm. It's about your relationship with yourself. Mm. Can we just like drop the mic on that? Like that, oh, oh, (laughs) that is so good. You know, I think too, part of this, this has been such a wonderful conversation so far about rest and boundaries and developing trust with yourself. But I think too, we often don't feel like we deserve that element of self-care. 
Like, especially when mm-hmm. we are just viewing ourselves as workhorses and one dimensional, and I'm just here to show up and do my job and do the best I can. I think we forget like we're holistic be- beings and there's more to us than just our output. And so some of us, I think, really struggle with knowing that we deserve rest. I'm curious, you know, either with your work or what you've shared on social media or in your own experience, do you have any advice or or tips for anyone who's willing or, or ready to shift that perspective for themselves from I don't deserve it to it's actually not something I have to deserve. I I just it it's innate. Like it's part of my life to give myself that rest and, and that level of self-care. Mm, my first tip would be to start saying no and say it regularly. Ooh, yes. I like it. Saying no. This is, and I'm speaking from direct experience here because, you know, I I'm aware that I don't always practice what I preach. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I say this to my partner all the time, you know, I'm really good at giving advice. Am I great at listening to my own advice? Sure is out (laughs) on that one. I'm I'm working hard. working hard to make yeah. sure that I can really hear myself. Cause sometimes I say things I'm like, wow, that sounded super smart. Who said that? And then it was me. So I'm validating that like, you know, there are moments where I, I have this knowledge, but I don't do it. And mm-hmm. so the same thing will happen to people, right? Like be gentle with yourselves, you know, allow yourself to make mistakes. And, you know, the moment you start becoming intolerant of, um, energy vampires, um, whether that be, you know, people that want you to work longer or make meetings longer than they should be, um, you know, people who step over your boundaries, um, places where you're not able to give yourself adequate and appropriate rest, because there's a difference between enough rest and the rest that you want. Mm. (laughs) And so really giving yourself that time to get adequate rest and then ultimately making the decision intentionally to be like, well, what is the kind of rest state that I want to be in and allowing yourself to become more than just enough, because that is the transition from surviving to thriving and to blooming and to existing in this holistic space where you are beyond just a body or, you know, a piece of labor, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> a labor worker to, to do things for other people. And that includes the work that, you know, you do for yourself. If you're an entrepreneur, you're not just your job. You're not just your business. Um, you're a person. And so ultimately connecting to that higher sense of, is there more to me than just what I do? What -hmm. would I like to be doing? What do I value? What matters to me? Do I feel regulated and safe enough to take the time to do these things that I love? to be with the people that I love? And if the answer is no, really start to give yourself time. And if you live by the calendar like me, schedule your rest breaks. Mm -hmm. Say no and schedule your rest breaks and actually have time more consistently in your calendar that allows you to to rest. And I think for people like me, where I live by the hour, my sessions are by the hour, my my time is really like portioned out in this very discreet unit. And so when I can see on my calendar that, wow, I have the next two hours to just rest and maybe I've scheduled in time to do work later, it really gives me a sense of peace and gratitude, not just for myself now to be able to lean into that, but for my past self and ultimately for my future self Mm -hmm. to be enough of a whole person that is rested and secure and confident so that tomorrow isn't a bad day. So that the day after that is an even better one. And realizing that optimization isn't just about work output, but it's about expression of your identity. It's about Mm -hmm. authenticity. Um, And so try not to put too many of the productivity metrics on what you do and think about more about how you want to be and who you are. Mm. Think about how you want to be and who you are. So much of your work in, in this conversation, I know it focuses on taking, I think, a holistic view of health and mental health. And so I'm curious, how do you define holistic, I guess, is what I, what I want to know from you. Do you focus on like mind, body, and soul? What, what does that look like for you? 
Yeah. I mean, I want to honor that so many of the healing practices that mm-hmm. we engage in, in our Western model of medicine, right? Like yes. I'm a regulated professional, um, that, you know, speaks to a governing body that ultimately is regulated by a Western society. Yeah. Um, a lot of these healing practices are indigenous in nature and we didn't design mm-hmm. them. We mm-hmm. didn't create them. And so holistic psychological and psychotherapeutic and um, ways of existing is not just about mind, body, soul, but it's about mind, body, soul, and collectivism and community. Mm. And so thinking about not just from an individual perspective, but from a community perspective, a community care perspective as to how you want to exist in your world. Um, That's how I would define holistic I think if you think about community, if you think about environment, if you think about what's going on inside your head, so mind, Mm -hmm. thinking about body, you know, like the physiological sensations of what it means to exist. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you think about your soul, like your emotions, your feelings, like your spirituality, all of that comes together in nature as you know, it it works off of each other. Mm -hmm. You know, we notice that our mood is better when the sun is out. Why is that? You know, mm-hmm. we, we mm-hmm. have so much connection when we're in groups of people that we feel safe with. Why is that? And it's no accident that our world is designed for us to exist in concert with each other. So for me, holistic um, healthcare and, and holistic support is about honoring the indigeneity of the work that we do and, and, you know, really recognizing that what we do is a it's something that is connected to something greater than us. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for that acknowledgement. I think that's incredibly important. And I'm, I'm so happy you said that. And I, I am really touched too by this sense of community and connection that you just spoke about. And what you said is that we are really meant to be in concert with one another. And I just keep thinking about the pandemic and the last year and how we really we're missing that. Like we were missing that in its physical form. Sure, we could still be connected digitally, but we weren't able to be in concert, in connection with one another, you know, mm-hmm. in person. And I think that's where this need, at least I'm feeling, this greater need for rest and self-care and nourishment is coming from at this point. Because over the last year, I think we've been so hyper-focused on survival and so hyper-focused on how can we maintain connection and how can we, um, I mean, really maintain our sanity to be perfectly honest. And so I think too, as things go back to whatever the new version of normal is going to be and granted, wherever you are in the world, it's going to look different. The timeline is different. We're all on different ends of this spectrum. I think we're all trying to figure out how can we nurture ourselves while maintaining being in concert with one another. Mm. It's something I've been thinking a lot about, as you can probably tell. It's like, how do I continue to fill my cup, but also begin to connect with those around me in a way I haven't in the last mm-hmm. year, year and a half? Mm-hmm. I think that's a hard question within the pandemic because so, so much of us, so much of our ability to connect is not just on what we say but it's also what we do, Mm. right? If I make a face that mirrors disgust, you will immediately have thoughts about what that might mean. (laughs) And so expressions, um, nonverbals, gesticulations with your hands and engagement are all ways that we can start to utilize our body in more than just language. Mm -hmm. Language is a bit of a blunt tool and we're not always as precise with it as we want to be. You know, sometimes we say things and our intention is misinterpreted or our impact doesn't correlate with what we intended. And that can be really hard. And so digital communication makes those kinds of relational transgressions much more common and more difficult to recover from. But ultimately realize that your relationship with yourself and nourishing yourself is a consistent and a necessary ritual. 
it's not something that is dependent on your ability to connect with others. Mm -hmm. And to see those two as separate is going to be powerful because then it's going to be less on how do I get this seesaw to even out and more about like, okay, I'm going to focus on nourishing myself and engaging with lots of different types of of ways of existing, whether that's creative, whether that's intellectual, whether that is more active, like body-based movement or engagement that replenishes my cup and makes me feel alive again, right? Gives you that Mm -hmm. vitality and that Mm -hmm. zestiness (laughs) Mm -hmm. for life. Um, But also thinking about, you know, who are the people in your life that make you feel zesty and alive and vital and who honor your space and who, you know, give you those reminders to get back out there into the world. Um, You know, one of the things that I like to do is I think about whenever there's a a new moon or like there's a full moon out, I kind of go out and I know that there's a couple other people looking at that moon and that Mm -hmm. makes me feel awesome to know that, you know, I'm not the only one seeing this moon. And that's like a really silly thing that I've been doing for a long time, but I think our connection to our world, our connection to people is more than just what we can say and what we do. It's like our understanding of like, where can we find wisdom in our, in our world, whether that's in nature, whether that's in, um, you know, visual connection, like looking at the world, looking at our environment or through our expression and and through our our way of communicating with each other in nonverbal ways. So, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone's going to have a different way of doing this, but ultimately feel empowered to, to be curious and engage with yourself and and others in ways that you might not necessarily have planned to. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I just, I wish I like could write everything you just said down. So I'm going to go back and, and write it down after we're done talking because oh, that was so beautiful. And I think too, you know, to tap into that wisdom that you were speaking about, we can do it really in a profound way for ourselves as we rest. So taking rest, allowing yourself quiet spaces, allowing yourself moments of reflection will allow you to look, I think, for that connection or see that connection in a different way or be able to tap into it. I keep reminding myself, and I've been reminding myself of this for at least four or five years. It's like you can do as much as you want and and learn and connect, but then at some point you've got to give yourself enough time and space to integrate it and to process it. And for me, that's where those moments of rest come in for sure. So as we wrap up, this conversation and and Megan, thank you so much for, for this has been so good. I can't wait to share it. Um, a couple of questions before we go. And these are questions I usually ask people at the end of our conversation. The first is, do you have a go-to quote, affirmation, mantra, something, something that you hold on to either as it pertains to rest and trust and boundaries or, or just something you've carried with you, um, throughout your life? Mm. The quote, the great, Oprah. Yes. You cannot live a good life, a strong life, an engaged life without disappointing some people. Don't be afraid to let people down. Oh, that is so good and so timely for this conversation. I love it. It is. I love it. It is one of the things I pay attention to and I remember all the time. You know, I'm like, well, she said it. I mean, if Oprah is saying it and Oprah is doing it, then that is just all the permission I think we need. <laughs> Something's going right. Something's going right over there. Oh, it's from a conversation um, she had with Brene Brown a couple of years ago. And I think Brene was talking about, you know, well, how do I not let people down? Like, how do I not feel so mm-hmm. at a loss when I am trying to to live in my world? Something along those lines. And, and Oprah just simply said, you know, you can't live a life without disappointing people. So you heard it here first, second, (laughs) third. (laughs) I love it. I love it. You know, I'm curious too, like as you have continued to allow your, allowed yourself to rest. And I think, you know, honor probably the burnout you've been experiencing. Have you started to feel or experience more joy? Have you found more joy in your life as you've, you know, embarked on this, this journey with rest with yourself? I definitely have. Mm. I think, you know, ideally I wouldn't just take a rest from posting on social media, but I will actually take rest. Like 
put everything down, put on my out of office and just take a few days or weeks, even a month maybe, <laughs> to just um, exist in my body and not feel um, like I owe anyone my time or my energy. Um, but I do find that that periods of rest and consistent rest and being unapologetic about that rest and when I'm going to take it and why and setting boundaries with people is much easier when you have a policy and you have a, an idea in mind of what you need. Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. I know it can be easy to avoid the harsh truths of what it might mean to show up as ourselves or to say no to someone or to find that pocket of joy that you've been looking for, but ultimately it's worth it. Mm -hmm. It's worth it to be who you need to be because that's who I'm waiting for. Whoever's listening Mm -hmm. to this, I'm waiting for you to show up and be exactly who you are Mm -hmm. so that we can be ourselves together. And that's joyful. That Mm. brings me joy. Mm. I love it. It's worth it for you to be who you are meant to be, who you are. And then when we show up that way, we all show up that way. It's going to be, it's going to be huge. Okay. My last question for you before we go, and this is really the question I ask everybody that comes on the podcast. What is your biggest dream? I thought about this and (laughs) (laughs) I I found it so hard to answer. I was like, what is my biggest dream? And you know, if I'm being really, really honest with you, I'm living my dream. Mm. I am, I am, I am love and I am my dreams. I am who I need to be because I have the best job in the world. (laughs) I, I frankly would not do anything else. I get to, to connect with people. I get to have conversations like this. I get to exist in a world where I talk meaningfully um, with other people, you know, beyond the, the BS, like yeah, underneath yeah. all of the the stuff and, and get to connect. And I just don't know if I would want to do anything else. Um, but more tangibly, I dream for a unobstructed vacation. Mm. I feel like if I'm putting that out into the universe, I'm saying it here, it's going to come coming. true. It's going to come. coming true. Come your way. I love it. Megan, thank you for this incredible conversation. I'm so glad that we, we talked about rest and like the reality of it and like why we struggle with it and its role with boundaries and trust and feeling like you deserve your own self-care. So thank you for this conversation where, where can everybody find you and connect and, and, and learn more about everything you're doing from Instagram to content creation to Bloom Psychology and Wellness, where can everybody find you and connect and and learn more? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can connect with me on Instagram at thrive underscore with Meg. I am usually posting, but um, maybe by the time you listen to this, I will be back, but I have lots and lots and lots of pieces of content for you to engage with and to learn about self-care and self-love. You can visit my website at watsonpsychotherapy.com. That's watson-psychotherapy.com or if you're in Ontario, Canada and you're looking for therapy, you can visit my clinic website at bloompsychologyto.com or catch us on IG at bloom underscore psychology. Perfect. Everything's going to go in the show notes. We'll make it so easy for everyone to connect with you and learn more. And really, like if you're not following Megan on Instagram, do it because the posts are so good. And so they're always so timely for me, by the way. Like maybe that's the intention. I've like, heard that before. Really? They're always so timely. I'll be scrolling. And I'll be like, it's like one of those I stop on. I'm like, oh, Oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna save this. We're gonna screenshot it. We'll come back to it later. So amazing. Well, thank you. This has been this has been so much fun. Thank you again for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been such a pleasure.